Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Anchored, the Brody-themed podcast-style low-sodium option for the Ocean State's sea saltiest opinions. We're your hosts, Shay. And Elise. And today we're going on our first date. But before we spritz on our favorite eau de parfum, I believe is how it's pronounced, we want to remind y'all to do the 21st century first date thing and stalk us on our social media before we begin. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at at Anchored the Show. Also, do not forget to subscribe to our podcast on whichever platform you're listening to so you don't miss a single salty take. And with that said, Elise, I have to apologize. I forgot the flowers that I was going to bring you. We're not going on a date and I'm highly allergic. Um, well, if we're not going on a date, who's going on a date? All right, guys. So I'm very excited because we are going on our first date. And so we're here to talk about important stuff. Maybe we're here to talk about dumb stuff. We're just really hoping that it's super hot goss. Basically, we're Larry King meets between two ferns. So I am here to introduce our new friend, Sam Bell, Rhode Island State Senator for District 5. Welcome, Sam Bell. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. He had the third largest margin of victory between Senate Democrats in the 2020 primaries. Behind Mary Ellen Goodwin for District 1 and Alana DeMario for District 36, people must like like you like you. I mean, I think some people do. Some people <laughs> don't like me. <laughs> we'll get to that later. So um, are you excited to go on this first date with us? I am. Yes. Brings back all sorts of memories. <laughs> we love first dates. <laughs> I actually really do. I'll go out with anybody, even though I'm happily with someone. I'm like, let's go on a first date. That's um, why we're here. <laughs> yep. Um, so I won't we don't have to get into it if you don't want to. But it's my understanding that the Senate just voted on legalizing marijuana yesterday. Mm-hmm. So are we drinking? Are we smoking on this date? What are we doing? Are we just keeping it sober and seeing how well, we mesh? So we are, are, are I believe, and I, I hope I'm not revealing anything for your listeners. We are Legally still located in the state of Rhode Island, yep. which has not, in fact, legalized cannabis. Oh, okay. So what I recommend to people is that they uh, go to the state of Massachusetts, book maybe an Airbnb or something, go visit some of the uh, small businesses there. Okay. Uh, and um, enjoy cannabis safely, legally, and then return to the state uh, of Rhode Island. With a couple less tax dollars in your pocket. Well, the great thing about it is that you will be contributing those tax dollars to the state of Massachusetts, whose general court will spend them much better than the Rhode Island General Assembly would. Ooh, sick burn. I think I need to get this out of the way, Sam. You're married? I am. And I know it is one of the worst first date deal breakers. <laughs> oh, no, not for, for some. Shay. <laughs> well, I, I am in a committed, uh, loving, uh, and in fact, a, a monogamous marriage. And, All right. Uh, I, I know that's an issue for some people. Is that human named Sam as well? So I have been trying to rename her Samantha with some success. Okay. Didn't work. So it's not some narcissistic thing where... Like this is Sam and Sam. I find it difficult to call her Sam. It it feels deeply weird to me. Would it be weirder if her name was your mom's name? No. Okay. Ooh, that is a great question. <laughs> Thank because you, it is actually that's her middle name. <laughs> okay, but <laughs> <laughs> so I can tell you oh, that wow. it is weird, but it is not as weird. Yeah. No. It, it's uh It's it's interesting. Um. Yeah. And it's also weirder because we're becoming more and more the same person. Did she take your last name? No. We haven't quite 
figured out what we were doing with last names. Okay. We had a, a plan on what we were going to do, but it also hasn't happened. So okay. We still Perfectly have fine. the same. Yeah. I just last didn't know if names. it was like a really great way to like circumvent like student loans. <laughs> Sam Bell? No, the other Sam Bell. Nope, the I, other Sam Bell. The other I Sam actually Bell. am lucky enough to have been blessed in life to have been able to pay off my student loans. Wow, congratulations. Which we should have a moment of silence for this. <laughs> deeply privileged and unique. <laughs> yes, very much so. Do you, Sam, do you remember your first date with your wife? Oh, I do. I, I remember it very, very fondly. What did you do? Where'd you guys go? We started at, I think it was the Eddie. But it was too crowded. And then we went to the Red Fez, which was also too crowded. Yeah. I think we... R.I.P. Red Fez. Yeah, Yeah, I know. We ended up at New Rivers. Okay. There's that privilege again. I know, right? (laughs) Well, this is... She was in charge, which was... Oh. Did you guys meet inside the internet? Like, Like people today? Or... No. So we were set up by a uh, mutual friend. Wow. That never happens anymore. This is real. I, I will be honest. The exact details I'm slightly editing because this is going out on a podcast. Okay. Um, but um, uh, yeah, we were introduced by, shall we say, a mutual friend. I'll get that dirt later, but because <laughs> I feel like there's a lot more to that story. But that's perfectly fine. And that's your love. And that's beautiful. So since we're on a first date, got to ask you, do you have first prepared first date questions when you go on a first date that you ask i don't think people like being bombarded with questions i think you just sort of, oh, oh that's why i'm single <laughs> i could be wrong uh I, just learning this now i don't know my theory is that people want you to show genuine interest in them um which is hard if you don't have it and sometimes yeah. first dates go badly for that reason Ooh, but yeah. i don't know i mean i i I try and I think I ha- I tried to show genuine interest and caring and it seemingly worked unless it's a long con. I we really hit it off. I I feel like I sort of won the the romance game finally. And in fact, it's it we we our love is very fully accepted by everyone in society. We don't have to hide. Another privilege. It is another privilege. <laughs> Man, just racking them up I here. Know. <laughs> privilege on privilege on privilege. So unlike you, I do have a signature question. Actually, we both have a signature question, and I'll go first. Why are you here? And not like in the studio, but like in Rhode Island. How did you end up in Rhode Island? So I always wanted to live in Rhode Island. My father grew up here. Uh, My grandmother lived here until she passed away last year. And we always used to come here to see her. And Providence was a really great place to live. And I, I always really wanted to come. It just seemed like a really great place to live. It seemed like really wonderful people here. And it seemed like a really beautiful city, a beautiful state. Um, when did I, you come here? Like to stay per, semi-permanently, if not permanently? Probably permanently. Yeah. Although I, I never know where my life will take. <laughs> yeah. I, I still haven't figured out what I'm going to do when I grow up. But that's another yeah. story. Now, Seaside I, erosion also. So we need to think about that. But. I know. Now, I, I, so I, so I, I was, a, I'm a planetary geologist mm-hmm. in, in my non-political part of my life. And so I wanted to go to grad school. And there were only a couple of uh, planetary geology grad schools around the country and i was deciding between brown and arizona i went to arizona for a couple months (laughs) arizona and then i left arizona within my field was a more prestigious geology grad school Hmm. um 
Although I think the university probably has less prestige than Brown. Allegedly, they have a very good cafeteria, according to Shay, though. Mm -hmm. Great hot dog cart as well. It was, yeah, but it it was also in the desert. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's Arizona. (laughs) Extraordinarily dry. And I spent all of my time uh, drinking water or dealing with the consequences thereof. (laughs) And Providence was such a lovely place and somewhere I'd always wanted to live. And so perfect. Uh, I decided uh, to come here. Awesome. Well, we're happy to have you. Speaking of good cafeterias, my signature question surrounds food, which is quite obvious. So you get two options for this. or two answers. It's what is your favorite sandwich? Both the one that you would get out in the streets. You could buy it from a store, from a restaurant, from a cart, wherever. And then what is your favorite sandwich to make at your house? Well, okay. So I am a sucker for... Um, uh, sandwiches that are two pieces of meat with meat in between them but also to be perfectly honest i think the best sandwich i ever had uh was and this sounds incredibly bougie and i'm sure it is no i'm here for it but we went to rome with my family a while ago and uh we got various kinds of italian uh cured pork of various descriptions And we bought a fresh baguette and we had fresh mozzarella. And um, I'm so into this. Yeah, it was very simple. But I think, you know, that's that might have been the best sandwich I've ever had. Yeah, that's my favorite sandwich now. <laughs> so absolutely. Sounds because it's amazing. the ambiance. Yeah, absolutely. So what's your favorite? Do you try to recreate that at your house or do you are you just like a PB&J kind of guy at home? Well, the thing is, these things are expensive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And although there are lots of lovely places where you can buy, you know, prosciutto and capicolo and things like that, yeah. there aren't very many places where you can buy it super cheaply because it is expensive. And so I usually don't. Yeah. And, you know, the Senate isn't a full time job, unlike some other states. So. No. And, you know, it doesn't pay um, uh, infinitely much money. No. But. No. I have a, a wife who supports my lavish lifestyle. So. <laughs> go, go other Sam. Of cured meat. So first dates, you usually notice some red flags. Yeah, Except like for, you being married. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, that is, that's a real one. That's a good red flag. So how do you feel? What are your red flags or what have been your red flags in the past? Theoretically possible that people who've been on dates with me previously could listen to this. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to bring up anything too specific. Oh, out of, this is what I do. Themselves. By name. I got beef with this girl from fourth grade. She's been named numerous times in this. <laughs> so you're fine. Um, uh, no, I mean, I don't know. I believe in love and yeah. I want someone that I think, you know, I could fall in love with. Okay. Um, and that's a little bit hard to like quantify. No, it's still beautiful. I, I appreciate that. I, you know, if if it feels like uh, this isn't someone I could fall in love with, I mean, that's a it's a pretty big red flag. That that would be the the big red flag for yeah. me. You want like mm-hmm. smooth marble. You don't want sandpaper. Yeah, and I guess I also I want someone who is has has a pretty strong personality. Yeah, someone who will largely. Uh, dominate the relationship, shall we say. <laughs> so, okay. An Aries is what we're saying. <laughs> I I had to put that. Each episode needs a, a horoscope and astrology reference. 
Okay. I don't know. I, I don't actually <laughs> understand anything about uh, uh, astrology. It's witchcraft. When's your Except- birthday? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a, I know I'm a cancer. I'm a cancer, too. My birthday too. is July 7th. Mine's July uh, 3rd. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't know much about what it means to be a cancer. I think it or has movie, nothing I to guess. do with the disease. I think it's like a <laughs> crab or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, most of what I know about astrology are things that you pick up from doing astronomy. So the vague references, uh, like I know some of the astrology signs for the planets and stuff because they're sometimes used in actual astronomy. Since this is a first date episode, when I go on first dates with women, it tends to be like, are you an astrology gay or are you not an astrology gay? And that's usually my barometer. If I mention, oh, yeah, I'm an Aries. And they say, I don't really follow that. I go, yeah, I, me neither. It was it was a past life. Or if they're into it, I was like, OK, let's go crack my knuckles. Send it. <laughs> God, you're amazing. Thank you. You look so proud of yourself. I wish we had this like videoed right now because you're just like, I'm beaming. (laughs) I'm elated. Yeah. If there was a word for it. So red flags. One red flag that I've come across is, do you have a car? Do you have a car? Uh, Yes. I mean, I can't lie. (laughs) I have a car. It is legally in my name. Is Um, it registered to the state of Rhode Island? It is registered to the state of Rhode Island. We pay our car taxes to All the right. city of Providence. All right. Um, yeah. Does your house have a parking spot or do you park on the street? Uh, we have an excessively large amount of pavement with our driveway that we have long-term dreams of depaving. Nice. All right, cool. Good parking. Good parking. Well, since Elise and I are the type of people where we know people, we have a friend crashed our date. And by that, I mean, we have a listener question. And it was so good that I had to put it in the main part of the episode. So Twitter user uh, Rail Enthusiast Wife Daria, a.k.a. at Shadow, asks, how do we get to a condition that allows day-to-day existence here without a car so it becomes reasonable to simply not have one? And what and how should the state be involved in the creating of it? So I think the key thing here is to uh, get rid of the people who are in power in the state of Rhode Island making political decisions and replace them with people who don't suck as much. Okay. Love it. So. Sounds simple. (laughs) The details are far more complicated, but that is the simple answer. I mean, it's all political, right? I mean, these were all decisions that were made, you know. By people who ideologically believed in a certain planning ideology that still dominates our planning establishment and in in the more powerful circles. There are a lot of people who work, um, you know, uh, in planning departments and things like that who get it. Mm -hmm. But the people in charge tend to not. And, you know, we had a mayor in the city of Providence named Walter Reynolds. And, you know, for every mayor of Providence always blames everything on the previous mayor. And you sort of wonder, you know, who is most to blame? Where does it stop? And to a large degree, the answer really just is Walter Reynolds. Oh. He was responsible for a very large percentage of these awful transit things. And he was a true believer in the car and all those associated planning decisions. And he dominated planning policy when he was mayor um, in the 50s. And, you know, first thing he did, 
first big policy thing he did when he got elected is he put in place the zoning ordinance is still basically the zoning ordinance we have today that tried to suburbanize what had been a very dense, walkable urban city. Uh, he was also a huge proponent of the neighborhood clearings that targeted uh, low-income neighborhoods, uh, particularly African-American neighborhoods, but also a um, number of Italian neighborhoods, um, such as Federal Hill, which was severely hit by these clearings. Uh, although the Federal Hill clearings mostly came after Reynolds's time, but he was the one who really pushed that policy and really got it rolling. Uh, and there were so many neighborhoods of Providence that were knocked down and in many cases replaced by highways. Um, and it was, you know, there were a lot of people involved. But in this case, there really is one man who had a, a huge share of the blame and really drove that agenda heavily during the 1950s. And Providence still looks the way it does because of that agenda. And hmm. we tore down so many sections of of the city. It decimated the city population. You can go back and look at the old documents of people are saying, where will we replace the tax revenue by knocking down so much of the city? And essentially that question was never answered. And the city's finances have been fucked ever since. And to fix this, we have to undo those policy decisions. That means we have to uh, remove highways like the 610. Mm -hmm. um, and we have to do everything we can to rebuild neighborhoods that were lost uh, to create a more walkable uh, city. And to be able to live without a car is not just about creating a strong urban fabric. And that is, I think, a key part of it. It is also about the specific planning decisions we make on our streets. Uh, we need uh, a real robust uh, network of of separated bike paths, mm -hmm. um, protected bike lanes. And where we can't have that, we need uh, traffic calming within our neighborhoods um, so that cars don't go as fast and they don't kill as many people. You know, it's a big issue in Mount Pleasant where speeding has been a huge problem. And there was a teacher who died on Mount Pleasant Avenue very tragically. Mm -hmm. um, and we have to do something about speeding. Uh, and, you know, I think we need to have more community involvement in planning decisions. So you're saying it's not more cops? I don't think, uh, you know, look, you can look me up in the <laughs> uh, Rhode Island uh, courts database and you can discover that I had a disagreement with a state trooper about exactly how fast one should travel along Route 4 when you're late for work and you have a job <laughs> in Narragansett. <laughs> And you um, had four cups of coffee before. <laughs> yes, this is when I developed my caffeine addiction. Uh, you know, so with that as a caveat, <laughs> yeah. um, I genuinely think that it is not a good use of the public money to fund people to harass people on the highway and for speeding. I think that in general, people behave just as badly, always slow down when there's a cop. But uh, I don't think it meaningfully changes people's behavior. I think it's the the starting point for a lot of people entering the criminal justice system. Mm -hmm. I think there's deep racist bias in how it's enforced. Absolutely. Um, and I just I don't think you should speak. But I think the right solution is to redesign our roadways uh, so that they don't encourage it as much and to improve highway safety. Honestly, 
the biggest thing we have to do is to get rid of urban highways. The reason why it's so dangerous in Rhode Island is that we have urban highways with nightmarishly, horrendously dangerous entrances and exits. It's terrifying. (laughs) It is genuinely terrifying. It's the highway design that we have to change. And uh, it, it would be a far better investment of public resources to redesign our highway system than continuing to pour vast amount of money into highway policing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it is sim- there are similar things that you can say at the municipal level. I'm more focused at the state level because yeah. I'm a state senator. But I, you know, I, I do genuinely believe if you look at uh, the state police, there's a strong case that this is a, a wasteful expenditure of money and something that should be deprioritized. I think a lot of the conversation here has focused on, on the city level. Mm-hmm. But I actually think there's, a, in fact, a stronger case at the state level because of the way our highway system is set up in Rhode Island that creates a level of unsafe conditions uh, that we try and paper over with policing and it doesn't work. I want to ask you, because the 610 connector is in your district, mm-hmm. how much control does the state Senate, the state reps, um, the state have over roads, over highways, over that kind of control? I mean, we have some control. There's still some prerogative given to your local district. I mean, so I have been I spent a significant percentage of my time is spent fighting with uh, RIDOT, Department of Transportation. I have continually been fighting with Peter Alvidi about the noise from all the demolition and the seismic shaking, which is a huge nuisance to people on Federal Hill and in Olneyville and in downtown. Uh, so I sp- I was once woken up in the middle of the night in Mount Pleasant, um, and I sent him a nasty 3 a.m. email. <laughs> uh, so I'm constantly arguing with them. We've gotten them to do some mitigation, sound insulating blankets, retiming some things. So we've gotten some success. I have for many years been championing the uh, Federal Hill expansion project to remove, you know, um, behind Caserta's Pizza. There is this big curl EQ ramp off of Dean Street yep. onto the 610. When that was created, uh, a huge uh, uh, na- part of the Federal Hill neighborhood was all demolished um, in, the, I think, the 70s. And, you know, it used to be that De Pasquale Ave was Balbo Ave and it used to go down the hill. And uh, that part of that neighborhood was just all destroyed. And I want to bring it back. Uh, and, and, you know, the Federal Hill business community is really excited about the opportunities that this creates. Um, and Governor McKee, hopefully, will help make this happen for real. I was promised that it would be made more official. And so I'm <laughs> trying to I'm trying to make it actually happen. Um, so this has been, you know, a huge passion of mine. I've gotten it was going to be canceled. It used to be attached to the viaduct project that's um, along 95. And it was stripped off of that project. And I was able to get commitments to make it continue on so that it wasn't canceled. That's awesome. That is, in case anyone is wondering why uh, I voted for the viaduct bill. <laughs> um, because Our listeners are wondering. Mm-hmm. Well, I know. <laughs> you know, I, I had to call a constituent to explain this because I had a constituent who's upset with because the viaduct plan was terrible. Yeah. And I voted for the bill because it was part, part of an agreement uh, to uh, save this project. 
Yeah, that's um, politics, baby. It <laughs> is. Yes. Uh, so, you know, this has been one of the things I really, I really truly care about. Um, and I am going to hopefully make happen. I think will be really make the Federal Hill neighborhood better and re- right a wrong that was done about 50 years ago. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And we, we look forward to following this with you and watching it and hopefully having access to affordable housing once there are applicable homes in that yeah. area. <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> I, know, I understand that. that there's a lot of there's a lot of moving parts here, but it's yeah. just the investment in our community is important, especially as you know, you know, with the cars and the bikes and the things like that. It's coming to downtown as well. And so we have an investment in our streets and our highways and our roads that we're making. And we're trying to make larger investments in affordable housing. But that still begs the question of how do people get around because cars are hella expensive, hella expensive. And so we have ripped up. And so given that that is the kind of focus for or Kennedy Plaza is the focus for Ripta. Like it's kind of like a hub and spoke kind of a situation. Um, we're excited to hear in first date fashion. We'll bring it back to our first date. Um, I, when I drink, I pee a lot. <laughs> Surprise. And so, you know, we just went out on, we had two perfectly acceptable time uh, drinks within a perfectly acceptable time on this date. And so now we're taking a walk around downtown. And I was like, oh, I should use the restroom. Can you use the restroom? Uh Recently, um, my understanding is that Governor McKee opened up the Kennedy Plaza bathrooms for bankers hours, a.k.a. 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Do you have any more information on that or is it still also new? Yeah, I mean, so look, I've been fighting with uh, Ripta about this for some time. Uh, they they thought that it was necessary to have uh, enforcement personnel there to make sure that people were responsible and followed certain COVID safety protections while using the bathroom. I, you know, the public restrooms at Whitford Village, um, I visited during the pandemic Mm -hmm. uh, while I was uh, volunteering in the general election for Senator DeMario and uh, had had too much coffee. (laughs) (laughs) And it was fine. There were no police there. Uh, People used the bathroom and it was just fine. So do you think this is a... This is a quote unquote poor people issue. I think that if this were in a different neighborhood, no one would decide that there needs to be a law enforcement presence there to make sure people are responsible when using the map. Okay. I I would agree to that because as I've said, and I will say again until the day that I die, bathrooms are infrastructure. They are. So clap emojis. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, it's also an issue about dignity and how much people deserve and everybody deserves you know to go take a shit past bankers hours or or just use the restroom (laughs) we come from different households (laughs) it's it's also extremely annoying like there are very few things in life that are worse than needing to use the bathroom and not being able to find one ain't that the truth and it's it makes people's lives worse and that is bad yeah it's dehumanizing and it it's is. It, it is mm-hmm. and so i i a thousand a thousand percent agree so um in true date fashion why would you say that people don't like you well there's several reasons <laughs> <laughs> I, I think a lot of people in the political world dislike me because uh, i uh am an anti 
uh, machine politician. I don't support the machine. I vote against them. I voted against the Senate president uh, and will continue to do so. Uh, we have strong ideological differences. You know, he voted against marriage equality as a bisexual. That vote really bothers me. Yeah. You know, he's pro-life and NRA endorsed and has, you know, uh, is a fiscal conservative, mm-hmm. um, uh, to put it I think, gently. Um, so we have strongly different um, political views. I'm a progressive and a Democrat. And I also, though, the machine is fine with you being progressive as long as you don't actually ever vote against them or speak out. Mm. And I think that's bullshit. And there's no reason why you shouldn't vote your values or speak out for what you actually believe in. And also, when there are things in Rhode Island that are, in fact, corrupt and immoral that happen in Rhode Island politics, if you are silent, you are complicit, in my opinion. And so I am a believer that you have an obligation to speak out against injustice. And if you do that, you make the people in power very mad at you. So why did you run for office in the first place? I was mad. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. No, that's completely acceptable. The state of Rhode Island. I felt that policy decisions made by the machine running uh, Rhode Island, the very right wing machine that dominates our Democratic Party. We're fucking over people all across the state and making people's lives worse. And in particular, I felt that the economy was severely mismanaged during the Great Recession, and we slashed absolutely everything. And uh, Brutal cuts, Mm -hmm. you know, laying off, firing every teacher in the city of Providence, you know. um, Et cetera. Et cetera. (laughs) And, you know, the Rhode Island economy severely underperformed. Yeah. And, you know, this time when we had a stronger progressive presence and were able to beat back against brutal budget cuts during this next economic crisis, the Rhode Island economy was about <laughs> average. And, you know, there these are consequences. You know, I think that having people who are willing to fight the machine on their policy views meant that we did not see public policies that fucked people over to the same degree as when we didn't have that during the Great Recession. And I think there are severe, real consequences for people's lives. I think it's really important. I hate it. <laughs> I, it it's miserable. Um, but I think it genuinely makes people's lives better if you fight to get less shitty policy. Right. And is this hold on one second. Okay. Is So is this why people in your regular life also don't like you? <laughs> well, I don't know that people in my regular life dislike me. Um, I'm just messing. I'm just I, messing. I think my wife would uh, like me to have more time available. And she, <laughs> yeah. she thinks that, uh, you know, but I, I, I think people like me. I'm sure some people don't that I think do like me. And, and I'm sure I'm just deluded in that regard. But. There's plenty of people who don't like me for the same reasons that I think other people like me. Well, I I am an anti, uh, I'm someone who questions authority. And, you know, I don't believe in deference to authority. I think it structurally leads. Like George Carlin. I don't know if I would (laughs) 
can't say it that way, but my willingness to question authority and to not go along with various different authority structures mm-hmm. uh, will make people mad. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, people feel like it breaks social rules or, or norms or something like that when you challenge different power structures or don't respect certain power structures. Mm-hmm. And I and that that can make people mad. And also sometimes I say stupid things that I shouldn't say that I later regret. Uh, Welcome to the club. Did yeah. you want did you want to join our pap- podcast? <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think those are probably the main reasons people sometimes dislike me. Hey, happens. Uh, for those that are listening that would look at our Senate makeup, it's largely Democratic. Um, but for those who aren't from Rhode Island, just because somebody's a Democrat doesn't mean they have the values of a progressive. And so this past election cycle, there was several new senators being elected mm-hmm. in seats that far more progressive and are outspoken like yourself, uh, such as Senator Mendez, Senator Mack. So for those that don't understand really the, dif- the difference about what a progressive Democrat in the Rhode Island Senate is versus a just a Democrat, um, could you explain that to our listeners? Yeah. So, you know, we're 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 more traditional Democrats. We believe in actually the actual values of the Democratic Party, like making life better for people in poverty, like no. actually helping people. <laughs> um, now, for a while in Rhode Island, because of the extremism of just how far right the machine is, the dividing lines were much narrower. And there, there are things that normally are, aren't really even an issue in the National Party. So a big dividing line was whether you are pro-choice or not. Um, the machine is pro-life. Uh, and, you know, th- this is changing slowly as we win. More and more members of the machine are now pro-choice. but. Um, that was for a while a big dividing line. Uh, LGBTQ rights were a big dividing line. There's still a lot of people who are not cool with it. Um, and uh, guns, you know, these are and these are things that I, to me, it, it completely boggled my mind that so many Democrats in this state were endorsed by the NRA mm-hmm took and I when I was a younger activist, I did an investigation to their financing and that got uh, the NRA's pack uh, shut down until they paid second highest. What was then the second highest campaign finance penalty in state history? Only Jim Langevin uh, had paid a larger fine. Oh, and I did that because I was wondering where the hell is all this money coming from? Yeah. And that so many Democrats were taking it. You get used to it, but then you step back and it's just it's just stunning yeah. how mm-hmm. and it's the economic issues where we go the furthest. I mean, it's very hard to find examples of red states that have economic policy as right wing as Rhode Island. Genuinely difficult to find that, you know, on social issues, we tend to be, you know, we were like a, a sort of moderate red state or a conservative blue state sometimes uh, on social issues. But we're. Very hard to find red states in general that have economic policies this ideologically right wing. We'll have to do some investigative reporting, Shay. We will. We'll put on our glasses. (laughs) So in true date fashion, our friends are already texting us and asking how the date's going. And they're asking us questions they want to ask you. So one of our 
friends at anorak underscore ka on Instagram asked, what can brown do for you? Brown with a capital B, not just like the color brown, even though I think you'd look great in it. Brown University? Probably. <laughs> for me personally or for the, the state of Rhode Island? Up to you. I <laughs> mean, brown brown did give me a, a PhD and an education in uh, geology where I learned quite a lot um, that. So that has been very useful to my life. And I, I learned, uh, try, try to be a planetary geologist, which is sort of my true passion. We'll find out what that means next time. Um, and <laughs> so that, that helped me very much in life. So that's, you know, that's what Brown did for me. And, and I am thankful for that. And uh, what Brown should do for Providence is pay up. Oh, mm-hmm. pay your taxes, Brown. Yeah. Pay any taxes. Some of Please. them. I'll take some of them. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I put in a bill that would break their ancient charter. There's a legal way around their ancient charter, the representative Morales, and I have found by reading the, the charter. Um, and so we want, <laughs> we want to create a, a, a taxation scheme that does not uh, allow these ancient charters to exempt one particular institution because it's not fair to have a taxation scheme that just happens to exempt the wealthiest institution. Do you know if the other Ivy League schools or any of them have such a um, tax exemption that Brown does? Well, they do. The um, The Supreme Court decision on which all of this rests is Dartmouth v. Woodward uh, in New Hampshire, um, which holds that college charters are signed by colonial governments are a binding contract that is perpetually binding on the resulting state governments, even while though it was signed while uh, we were part of the British Empire. Um, yeah, I feel like there's legal work around here. So <laughs> that, you know, it's I'm not ba- a lawyer, but it it's feels based a little off iffy. a 19th century court decision around Dartmouth. And so, um, yeah, it's not just Brown. It, the, the, the Supreme Court decision was early 19th century based off Dartmouth. All right. So, oh, man, another friend of ours wants to know how the date's going. Guys, it's going great, just so you know. But this person asked, and this person being at Samantha underscore NC. Who's not your wife. On Twitter. We're assuming. No. <laughs> you had a lot of Sams in your life, Sam. This this was asked in a very, I, I imagine this person has their hands on their hips because they say Sam Bell, which is almost your full name. <laughs> Sam Bell, why have you still not been to the best new queer vegan bakery in your district? Two question, question mark, marks. Question mark. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's a, that's a harsh question, and because um, <laughs> I believe in butter. Well, I actually do believe in butter in my own baking. <laughs> uh, you know, I'll, although uh, I blush does a very good job of vegan baked goods. Okay. Um, I think I I'm going to call blush the best new queer vegan bakery in my district, and I don't want to offend any of the others. <laughs> Um, you got but, a large constituency over more. there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's the West End. I, I believe the the Augusta Street Kitchen likes to call themselves plant based because they also do like collagen coffee and stuff like that. So they're not strictly vegan. Um, That's like all the other the other side of vegan <laughs> like is collagen, <laughs> like the other side of vegan. No, but, but blush blush has has it has very. Um, they do a very good job, and it's very tasty. What's your favorite pastry? Uh, my favorite pastry. It doesn't have to be vegan. Um, <laughs> it can be meat, meaty. I really like 
French patisserie things that I are uh, fancy things that I don't know what uh, the names are that you find. Like, I mean, that's that's the best. Pastry. I'm in it. I'm, the I'm best pastry it. is like if you go to like Quebec or France or something like that, and you go to a patisserie, and it's something, some sort of, and I don't know what the hell they, they do to make it. It tastes so good. Butter, like New York bagels. It's it's a <laughs> it's lot butter. of butter. I I, it's I had it's this. Butter. <laughs> I had this red currant mousse pastry once in France. Where I went on vacation, and again, I'm making myself sound very no, it's okay. Bougie I go on very, very bougie, un, 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 unrelatable. No, um, I go on but, very bougie no, vacations. Mean, that's, that's that's the that's the best that's out there. But actually, to get back to answer the original question, I don't want to sound like I'm dodging it. The the real answer <laughs> is that, in fact, um, I have not done my fair share of the shopping, and my wife uh, has. We have bought things there. But it has been uh, my wife who has gone in, uh, and I think th- I think we've patronized them three times, Ooh. and it each time it was my wife uh, who was doing the shopping that day, and I, you know, I should do more of it. I, I, I only have so much time, and I'm not going to lie. I mean, that's the truth. That's that's the hard truth. So we it, ap- we appreciate your honesty and that you came here with an open heart. Mm-hmm. Well, no, I mean it's it's a it's a astute probing question, and and the answer, you know, doesn't paint me in the most flattering light. <laughs> but <laughs> it was an honest. I answer. don't want to dodge the question. <laughs> we appreciate that. So, Sam Bell, I feel like this is like really working out pretty well for us. Um, and so I was wondering if, like, maybe in the future, you would want to go out with us again. Like, no pressure. Yeah, I, again, I, I do have to return to what I said at the beginning. You know, I, I do have a uh, uh, monogamous, uh, loving <laughs> marriage that, you know, does does create some potential issues there. OK, OK. But like maybe we could have you on your on the podcast. <laughs> that, that would be lovely. <laughs> All right. Good. We look forward to that conversation. And I'm also going to find out more about planetary geology because it sounds like you would be critical if we did Armageddon 2? A um, couple of opinions, yeah. Yeah. Seven opinions. Uh, I I have plenty of opinions about that. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, in fact, study impact cratering, and I'm... Mm, my two favorite things. I, I'm very interested in uh, analyzing what the actual uh, risks are, and it's not particularly well understood. Okay, before we wrap up, and this is probably going to take 400 more hours, what is your theory of why the dinosaurs no longer exist on this earth? Is it because of an impact? Well, first of all, dinosaurs are still here. Uh, yes, birds and Rhode Island reds. <laughs> yeah. Um, which, and, but not like the big, big ones. And I know it's annoying. Every <laughs> geologist always gives the same answer. Um, but yes, we all have to say that we're legally bound to give that <laughs> same annoying diploma. answer. Um, <laughs> uh, I, Don't forget. So still uh, here. the Chicxulub impact um, impacted into uh, the northern Yucatan Peninsula, which is uh, an area where it has a lot of um, evaporite deposits because it was a a shallow ocean mm-hmm. and one of the evaporites that you get from ocean uh that kind of situation is uh gypsum which is a sulfur 
uh, bearing mineral. Okay. And smells like farts. That's what that means, Shay. Mm. Hot springs. <laughs> I, Eggs. You know, I know it's not a, a thousand percent accepted by everyone in the community, but personally, I think the evidence is overwhelming that for this theory. When the impact happened, it vaporized uh, the gypsum deposits and created large amounts of sulfur dioxide. Sulfur dioxide is a highly reflective material. And um, it's, for instance, it's why Venus is so bright. Um, and it, You're really smart. <laughs> like, really smart. That's I, so, what Brown did for him. Yeah. Yo, Brown did it. <laughs> I, am, I am actually a geologist, so it is something I know, like, a little bit about. Oh, you're killing uh, it. <laughs> but so uh, um, when that happened, uh, we had it plunged the temperature of the Earth by about 30 degrees uh, models suggest for about a hundred years. It was too short to really have a, re- a a temperature record that we can preserve today in the geologic record, uh, because it, it rained out in massive amounts of acid rain around the planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but something like that will would create a global climate effect yeah. uh, that would actually cause an extinction. It's pretty. It's becoming annoyingly proven now that a lot of the other extinctions that people wanted to link to impacts just aren't. The Eocene Oligocene uh, mass extinction turns out to be the glaciation of Antarctica and a global cooling period yeah. caused by that. Shay and I were just talking about and, that. And, y- you know, it's awkward, <laughs> you know, when people are like, oh, there's a big impact in Virginia. And it's more or less. The, oh, no, actually, though, the dates are are, are are they looked initially like it was no. <laughs> No, no, it's off slightly. And, uh, you know, uh, people got all excited about point. Maybe it's all impacts. No, it really doesn't seem that way. It really seems like it was the unique circumstances of the Chicxulub impact uh, because of the amount of gypsum deposits that were vaporized and the climate effects that that had through massive amounts of sulfur dioxide and subsequent uh, century of of acid rain and extreme global cooling. Yeah, that's amazing. Not everyone buys this theory. (laughs) Uh, It's controversial that Tony Shalhoub and gypsies were involved in the destruction of the dinosaurs. I didn't develop this theory. Because that's what I heard. But I think think the evidence really is pretty overwhelming, and people— I people still want to say bullshit like, oh, it was the Deccan traps, which is just horseshit. Total horseshit. It really is total mm-hmm. horseshit. Um, and, uh, you know, people try and point to all sorts of other things and there are still competing theories out there. I just I think the evidence for the uh, gypsum uh, and specific conditions, uh, geologic conditions of the Chicxulub impact theory are just completely overwhelming. And um Awesome. Yeah. Nice. I look forward to hearing more about this with you. <laughs> so thank you very, very much for all of your time here, Sam, and have a wonderful day. And I, I hope you call. Yeah. I hope you call. I'm looking forward to the, uh, the, the text. Yeah. 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 Well, and, and, and to make sure that, 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 um, you won't go any further. I spent a long time pontificating on geology, which is. <laughs> no, I'm into it. <laughs> I took three courses in dinosaurs in college. <laughs> Well, everybody, thank you for joining us today for our date with Senator Sam Bell. See you later, Sam. Once again, please follow us on our social media at Anchor the Show. And more importantly, hashtag stay salty. She says stay 
salty.